0: I'm feeling it uh, tonight. Um, certainly, God's love, um, the love um, from my four beautiful children who are with me tonight for the first time in two years in this church, all sitting with me—Lewis, um, Ava, Jacob, and Ellie—and um, uh, I feel their love, I feel my love for them, and certainly for everybody here. Uh, I'm going to read for you tonight. Um, uh, Philemon 1, 8-14. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son... Onesimus who Whom I have begotten while in my chains who once was unprofitable to you But now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back You therefore receive him that is my own heart whom I wish to keep with me That on your behalf he might minister to me and my chains for the gospel But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing That is, your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary.
1: Others and brothers, what we're going to talk about. It's Father's Day, and we're doing Philemon because it's kind of a three-week Father's Day message. So we started last week. we got another piece, but there's three men in this story that are pretty important. A guy named Paul, and a guy named Onesimus, and a guy named Philemon. Unless you play Pokemon, then it's Philemon. (laughs) I think that's how it goes. (laughs) I digress. All right. But these three guys, I mean, they're not all dads. I I don't know if Paul was ever married or not. The Bible doesn't say. We assume he wasn't. He probably had a father. Onesimus was a slave, no telling why he was a slave. Was he in debtor's prison kind of a thing, or was he, I mean, we don't really know how he became a slave. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about slavery being right or wrong. He just mentions it as a real thing in society, and it's been a part of society uh, for a long time. Sometimes it's part of an evil society but if uh, Onesimus was working off a debt that he owed to this man, his slavery would have only been temporary. So it's another thing, which isn't necessarily an evil thing. He's just paying his debts. But we don't know why he was in uh, as such a slave. And then there's Philemon. We talked about him and his family last week. Pretty good family. A lot of love going on up in that house, you know, the three of them. And so it's worth thinking about. But Dads, we all have issues as men. Now, I don't know if you women notice this, but dad issues are different than mom issues. When mom gets all emotional about stuff, I'm thinking like, what's that all about? I think I'll go in the garage. And, uh, you know, that's a heart of compassion for me, because if I stayed in a house, they'd probably get ugly, because I'm dumb when it comes to... But anyway, it's a Father's Day thing. So, you know, we're going to try to learn something from these three guys going through this little time together here. Last week we talked about Philemon and his family. The last verse 7, anyway, it was joy and consolation and love. And they were refreshing the hearts of the saints. In other words, putting them at rest. And the last thing Paul called him was a brother. You know, a brother. That we have a similar heritage. Uh, we've both been adopted by our Father in Heaven, in that sense, like Brett was talking about. Paul and Philemon had a relationship, and they treated each other as brothers in the brotherhood, and it was because of God the Father and uh, the Lord Jesus in their life. That's what brought that all about. Sometimes when we read this, like we're in uh, verse 8... And just follow along with it, Bryce. I did not Not a whole lot of funny slides up there today. But here, therefore, based on everything I've just told you about Philemon in the last seven verses and his family, now, Philemon, let's get down to some serious stuff here. Let me ask you some serious things. And when you read through this, there's a part of us, and the way we read it in English, we think, Paul's trying to sweet talk this guy into doing what he wants. Have you ever felt that from someone when they're talking to you, like they're trying to get you to do something, sign here, or do this, or whatever? The manipulation in life. And sometimes I think Paul is uh, pushing this guy Philemon to do something on behalf of Onesimus. So when you read down through it, it's like, is he that manipulative? Is he? I mean, but when you get into it a little bit deeper, it's really not that at all. And that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight is this uh, manipulation thing a little bit, because we've all learned life when we were younger. And, you know, you see somebody do something, and you say, I would never do that. Or you try to get them to do something. So you're in a process of either manipulating or condemning. or I mean, it's all this stuff going on. And from a little kid... I learned how to get the candy bar. You know, you scream loud enough, mom will give it to me. But it's Father's Day, so we'll just say father would give it to me. My dad gets, you know. And we form all these opinions about each other, like Paul trying to manipulate this guy into letting this runaway slave back into his house. And just it leaves us searching and wondering sometimes. Like, am I that way? Am I quick to judge some people? because of the way they behave and act and think, or am I being manipulated? Are people judging me? And Paul wrote in another place, judge nothing before it's time. Basically, just leave it all to the Lord Jesus. Let it wait. So why do we have to form opinions so quickly about people? Now, one of the reasons I want to listen to that song that Bruce wrote is that Bruce grew up his whole life thinking his dad was one way. And he wondered, why didn't he ever talk about it? Why didn't he ever say? And when he found the box of letters, he learned something. He learned the backstory part of it anyway. And all of a sudden, he had a whole new appreciation for who his dad had been, because he was long gone at that time. But at the same time, all the regret and the sorrow of not having had a relationship with that knowledge beforehand. What's the point? The point is this, we don't have the backstory. You know, we see people like Onesimus, runaway, slave, worthless. What are you gonna do with a guy like that? I don't want him in my house, I don't want him in my church, I don't want to be his friend, I don't want him in my town. So you don't know the backstory. When Jesus went to the woman at the well, the apostles said to him, What are you doing with this? Get away from that girl. Jesus knew the backstory, didn't he? She became a great asset to the gospel in Samaria. What's the backstory? And we're so quick to form an opinion about somebody. So, anyway, Paul started writing. He says, uh, Where is that? Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal being such a one as an old guy like Paul who happens to be in prison. So back up to verse 8 again, Bryce. Doesn't that sound like he's trying to manipulate the guy? Look, I'm an old dude. I'm in jail. Do it my way. And I could command you. Well, the idea in the language really is... uh, For bold, it's speak frankly. And for the word command, it's like, let me set some things in order and fitting, because these are the proper stories. In other words, Paul is simply saying to the guy, let me give you the rest of the story. Let me fill in some blanks that you're missing. Let me put the details in order for you, Philemon, so that you can make a wise decision. It doesn't sound like I could command you in Jesus' name, That's what it sounds like when we read it, but that's not what he's saying. But we have this tendency then to want to condemn people because we read something like that and we say, oh, or you hear something. You don't have the backstory. You don't have the full understanding of the words or the text. Or you see two people in the back of the church talking and one of them happens to look at you while they're talking. It's like, oh, I wonder what they're thinking about me, you know. And we were getting all offended and upset. I went to the car wash one time. We've had some wild car wash stories. After her dad died, we went to the car wash. We were so exhausted that the Cascade car wash, Dale and I fell asleep in the car, in the car wash. I woke up just when the light turned green. And when you go out of that one in Cascade, it's downhill until you run into Harvest Health Store across the road. And I woke up, and I saw she was sleeping. I says, Dale, you should never fall asleep in a car wash. <laughs> Lucky I woke up, because I was driving. And, uh, but and then another time we were there, and we had gone in the back way. There's two ways, and you got to take turns. I don't know if you've ever been there. And then there's the vacuum cleaner line, and then there's the drive-through. Just go to the car wash. Well, we'd gone. We vacuumed our car. We had a nice, beat-up old uh Honda Odyssey wagon, you know, a little more duct tape and red green would have owned it. It was in rough shape. But anyway, so we're in the line and we're done vacuuming. So I kind of ease out into the line. I'm getting ready to drive through the car wash. And this guy pulls up in this really nice Mercedes, Beamer thing, I don't know, Porsche. His car was obviously a little bit better than mine. And my bumper is still a little bit ahead of his. And he's right next to me. I say, what is this guy doing? I'm next in line. When that gate opens, it's me. (laughs) You know, it's my turn. And and the other guy, so they're going this way, and they're going this way, you know, because there's two entrances, and everybody's taking turns. So I I roll the window down, and Dale, she's between me, and the guy says, oh, no. And if Amanda had been there, she would have said something like, Dad, don't slip out of pastor mode now. (laughs) So anyway, they put the window down, and... This guy is sitting there in a the car. I said, uh, uh, what's going on? He says, well, I'm next. I said, no, I, I'm afraid I, I've been in line here. And you know what he said to me? He said, you're in the vacuum line. There I was, condemned to the vacuum line. I mean, he drove in last. He didn't know the whole story. I did vacuum my car, but I was in line. And I said, "No, this ain't going to happen on my watch. Watch this!" And I crank her to the right a little bit, and I ease ahead because you know another coat of paint off my Honda isn't going to matter. But this guy, he'd like reverse. Anyway, I got through the car wash. The the thing is, when we don't know the whole story, and it's so easy to condemn somebody to the vacuum line. It's so easy to want to be first. And how hard would it be? How hard would it be for us as Christian people to not read into the storyline, Paul is a manipulative preacher guy? Or to see someone and hear part of what they're talking about and automatically assume that they're putting me down, or or to feel judged, or to want to manipulate other people. We're going through life as Christian people condemning each other to the vacuum cleaner line. And so, I don't know, it just seems kind of odd, but Paul is really saying for love's sake, in verse 9, for love's sake, we ought to talk about this problem because all three of us have a problem. Paul has a problem, Onesimus has a problem, and Philemon has a problem. And all three of these men have the same common Problem, but yet each one has a different kind of decision to make. Welcome to the world of manhood. And what is the pathway to the right answer from a biblical perspective for every problem you've ever had, men? Have you found them all in the pages of the good book? Or have you been left questioning, Lord, help me make the right decision? Because I don't know what I'm doing. And I think that is more often the truth than not for fathers. Is Paul trying to just manipulate an outcome that is Paul-desirable? And on a Father's Day, I guess the question might be for us as men, leaders in the home, in the church, family, husband, all of that. And you women can apply it too, I'm sure, but... Is this just about me? Am I constantly trying to run my house for me? For my own whatever? And that is probably, I think we're all guilty of it at some level some of the time. You know, we probably are. Well, it's just a good question, I think, to examine ourselves. I mean, am I really living for other people? So, yet for love's sake, Philemon, filial guy, uh, brotherly love guy, friendly guy, Philemon is what his name means. He says, now let's put it to the next level. Let's step it up a notch. Let's go full agape on this thing. Let's go full sacrificial love on this thing. <clears throat> Philemon. This is about love, and it's for the sake of love. What kind of love? The kind of love that God showed when he came down from heaven's glory to save us from our sins. That kind of sacrificial love. Set aside your own glory for a little bit and get in there, figure out the backstory, and love well. Read the box of letters before you start judging and condemning people. And if you don't have the box of letters, why not withhold judgment and just love well anyway? I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I appeal to you. That word is actually in verse 7 too. It was consolation in verse 7. Here it's appeal, but it's the same idea again. For love's sake, I'm asking you to parakaleo, to come alongside, you know, paramedic, paralegal, para-whatever, you know, to come alongside the para word and comfort, the, the parish to come alongside and comfort. For love's sake, come along and produce comfort. Well, who's he going to produce comfort for? Philemon going to selfishly do what brings comfort to Philemon? If he tries, love dies. Do you realize agape dies the minute it's about self? You, there's no such thing as agape if what you're doing is about you. I can't show agape, love, to anyone else if it's about me. It doesn't work. So if Philemon is coming alongside to comfort, who's he coming alongside? This is a two-party thing. So there's got to be someone else in, alongside of him in order for him to come alongside. So this isn't the kind of word that allows Philemon just to comfort himself. That's not agape. That's selfishness. What we really need is selflessness. A whole lot of selflessness. So he's coming along Onesimus, he's coming alongside of Paul. Yes, yes, and yes. So if Onesimus, get these guys mixed up. If Philemon shows comfort to Paul, the aged who's in prison for Jesus' sake, Paul will not have another burden laid upon him because Philemon has the right to execute Onesimus. If he is indeed a runaway slave, he could just have him bumped off and that would be the end. Feed him to the lions, whatever. Worthless slave. He's producing comfort for Paul. How would that work out for Onesimus if Philemon received him back? That'd be quite the agape demonstration, wouldn't it? What, no torture? Hallelujah. You know, Onesimus. And if Philemon shows comfort to Paul and to Onesimus by doing the right thing, guess who else is going to eventually be comforted in this final decision? Philemon. But it will only come to him at the end after he has comforted all the others. In the end of verse 7 it says, But you and your wife and your son have refreshed the hearts of the saints. You have been comforting people. And that's the only way Philemon was going to find comfort. Was if he, for love's sake, came alongside Verse 11, another play on words, Onesimus means profitable. Apparently he was a good slave, must have been a nickname. Hey, profitable guy, come here. Pay your debt off, work it, come on, make it happen. Onesimus means profitable, he said, but Paul's telling him, he says, I'm praying for my son here, Onesimus, that I've begotten in my chain. So while Paul was in prison, Onesimus was there, and he got saved. And the next verse tells us, At 11, once he was unprofitable to you, even though his name was profitable, now he's profitable profitable. Does that make sense? Kind of a play on words, but Philemon, this guy is a brother in Christ. So Paul says, comfort me. Comfort him. What's Philemon going to do? If I treat him like a brother in Christ, can I have a brother in Christ executed? Is that the way of the cross? Is that the Christian way? I'm not going to forgive him. He can just stay in the grave. He can just stay in jail. I don't want anything to do with people like Onesimus. And every time we live our Christian lives in an unforgiving manner, in a non-gracious manner, in a way that you're dead to me, Basically, that's where they are. We're putting them in the grave. We're putting them in the prison. Relationally, spiritually, in some way, God views our hearts as being the kind of people who are condemning others to prison and to the grave. So Philemon has got a big decision to make. Whatever he does impacts Onesimus' life, impacts Paul's life, Paul's heart, Onesimus's heart. What about the church meeting in his house? What about the village of Colossae where he lives? How does that Christian testimony play? That's okay to be a Christian at uh, Philemon's house, just don't cross that boy. I'll tell you, he'll feed you to the lions. Where's my forgiving heart toward others? Is it possible for me to let someone out of prison by acts of kindness and grace and forgiveness and comfort? Or am I just going to. I get there's people out there. We all have, you know, that uh, relative or whoever. It's just, oh my land, they're here again. And you've talked to them 700 times, and you've done this over and over and over, and you're thinking, Lord, should I do this again? And the Lord says, no, only just 7 times 70, that's all. You get the 490, we'll talk about it. So I don't know, there's there's kind of a, a thing in there, like should I keep showing grace and forgiveness and love? And I'll let you decide. The answer is yes, but anyway. So you you get to uh, where are we are, verse twelve and thirteen. I'm sending him back. Wait a minute, sending him back. Okay, we know that he's there. We know that Paul knows he's Philemon's slave, and Paul knows he's a runaway. But how did Onesimus end up there in the first place? Now, there's a chance that Philemon sent him there in the first place, and sending him back. What's the next verse say, Bryce? 13, who I wish to keep with me. I wanted to keep him with me on your behalf. On your behalf. Doesn't that sound like maybe Philemon had sent him in the first place? I'm going to send him back. I just soon keep him on your behalf because he's ministering to me while I'm in jail. And then uh, the 14, the next one. But without your consent, I wouldn't do it. Did did Philemon have his consent? And maybe Philemon was such a good slave that Philemon, or Onesimus was such a good slave, that Philemon sent him to Rome to help take care of Paul's needs while he was in prison. And while he was there, he was thinking, man, I am out of reach. I am free. I'm going to Spain on the next boat. We don't know. I'm just, it's a question I have. By the way, I read that, I kind of wonder, how did he get there? But here's the the reality of it. Onesimus got there. Paul led him to Christ and found him to be a very profitable person to know and to have around. And now he said, I'd just soon keep him, but I can't keep him because I can't take what's mine, what's not mine. I can't steal from Philemon. Onesimus, now that I'm a Christian, I have to do the right thing. I must go back to my master and pay my debts, whatever that is, serve out my time. Or if he's a complete slave, whatever. He's, he just, as a Christian now, needs to do the right thing. Philemon. Onesimus standing here in front of him and just brought a letter to him from the Apostle Paul. We're reading the letter, and Onesimus and Philemon are face to face, and Philemon's thinking, i got to do the right thing. You know, Go back to verse 14. I wanted to send him back because I don't want to force you, Philemon, the compulsory thing. I want it to be voluntary. If Onesimus is going to help in the gospel, it has to be with your permission, Philemon. So you have these three guys Three men, one decision. They're all three slaves in one sense. Paul is in prison because of Caesar. He's basically under Caesar's rule. Philemon is a slave under Philemon's rule. And Philemon is a slave to the gospel and a slave to Christ. And they all are. But what happens next will determine whether there's any love or comfort or joy, in the church in Colossae. The next thing Philemon says or does when he gets to the bottom of this letter, he's been given the backstory. Will he comfort Paul? Paul can't steal. Will he forgive the slave, Onesimus? And will he honor Christ with his life? And the minute Philemon makes that decision, it influences everybody. And so when we think we're flying solo as Christians in Freeport or wherever we live, in our family, the kids are watching, the neighbors are watching, every every decision we make has its collateral damage or its collateral blessing. That's what it comes down to. Come on up, you guys, and sing. Here's, they're going to lead us in a song here in a second, but let me read this to you. Sometimes we wish the faith walk had an easy answer path to follow. Wouldn't it be nice if everything was just kind of black and white decisions? But if we put others ahead of us, or even especially the household of faith, the brothers, the others and brothers, ahead of ourselves, and seek to do the right thing, to know that God is with us in everything, so, so that we can speak frankly to one another and to each other, to show comfort. It seems that we'd be in a better place to let God be God, and no matter what happens next, you make your decision, you do the right thing, but no matter what happens next, our heart's prayer is that God will bless us in it and show us what it means to be truly Christian people all. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children and with those who keep his covenant.
2: May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his bread. beside you, all around you, within you, he is with you, he is with you.
1: In the struggle of the week and the decisions ahead of us, let's just pray. Lord, uh, we look to You to be with us in it all. We thank You for the blessing and the promise of Your presence. And grant us peace as we go out in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.